0: Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 6, verses 1 to 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the green fields, his disciples plucked and ate some years of corn, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the the scribes the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at all of them, at them all, he said to him, "Stretch out your hand." And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, Stacey, for reading so well for us this morning uh i do see a few new faces my name is ZM, am the lead pastor here at one covenant church if i've not met you would love to get to know you after the service uh, would you join me in a word of prayer as we see god's help to understand his word this morning father we thank you so much that this is your word we pray that as we open up your word you would open up our hearts and you'd drive us close to jesus christ this morning in jesus name we pray amen well if you've just joined us we've been working our way through the gospel of luke and over the last few sundays We've seen Jesus being in conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes were the religious elite of the day. They were the experts in the Jewish law, and they were also very meticulous in wanting to keep the Jewish law. And Jesus comes into conflict with them. And in those conflicts, Jesus actually verifies and actually clarifies for us what it truly means to follow God, what true religion really is like. Uh, Today, we find Jesus clashing with the Pharisees on the issue of what is lawful or not lawful on the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day was a very key part of Jewish identity. And in clashing with uh, the scribes and the Pharisees on this issue, he actually helps us to see what the true intention of the Sabbath was. You see, the Sabbath was very important to the Jewish people because it was a gift that God had given to them. You see, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God rescued them out of slavery, brought them out to Mount Sinai, and gave them the Ten Commandments. is Exodus chapter 20. Now, the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 9 to 10 says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the Sabbath day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. The word Sabbath merely means to cease. They have to cease working. They have to stop. God gives them a day off. Now, what are they to do on the Sabbath day? But Leviticus 23.3 says this, The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest and a holy convocation. Solemn rest and holy convocation. So there are two reasons for why God has given them Sabbath rest. To rest, to cease from work and rest, but also to worship. To rest and to worship. Now this is significant because think about it. The 400 years that they spent in Egypt, they could not rest. They did not have a day off and they could not worship. But now that God has redeemed them and saved them out of Egypt, he has enshrined it in the Constitution to make sure that they can both rest and worship. The Sabbath was a wonderful gift that God had given to his people. But here's the thing, friends. Over the years, Israel failed to keep the Sabbath. And so what did the leaders of Israel do? They implemented more and more and more rules to try to help them to keep the Sabbath. For example, the Jewish... uh, teachings in the Mishnah, there are 39 different things that you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. So to keep the 39 rules in order to keep that one rule to keep the Sabbath. Now what happened ironically is that because these rules became so laborious, the liberating nature of the Sabbath was lost. It's not meant to make you more tired, it's meant to liberate you, but became so laborious that the Sabbath day no longer became a rest. They had lost the original intention for the Sabbath. In Jesus' encounter with them, Jesus restores to us the true meaning of Sabbath rest. And can I say, friends, that this is so important for us, especially here in Singapore. I read a survey that said Singapore was the most overworked country in the Asia-Pacific. We work the longest number of hours per week, and we take the least number of leave days a year. But on top of that, Because of all that, 73% of our workers say that they are unhappy, and 62% say that at the point of burning out. So, we are the most overworked country in Asia Pacific. We work the most number of hours, we take the least number of vacation days, but 73% of us say that we're unhappy. And 62% are on the point of burnout. I read another survey about sleep, and Singapore also wanting to be number one, is the most sleep-deprived country, one of the most sleep-deprived countries in the world. Sorry, what was I saying again? Oh, (laughs) so cute, yeah. Sleep, is it? Was I talking about sleep? Okay, sleep. Okay. Singapore is one of the most sleep-deprived countries in the world. Only one in four Singaporeans gets more than seven hours of sleep a night. Okay, Most of us get between five and six. Some get under five hours of sleep. Now, a health article says this, and you can talk to your doctors about this. Sleep deprivation leads to a couple of things. Okay? Accidents. It slows you down. It causes serious diseases. It impairs your sex drive. It leads to depression. It ages your skin. It makes you unfocused. It leads to weight gain. It increases the risk of death. It affects your judgment, and it and it affects your conceptualization ability. So think about it, friends, this is the irony, right? We overwork and undersleep because we want to make progress, we want to be productive, and we want to have prosperity. But the data is showing us that by overworking and undersleeping, we're actually working against the goal for which why we're working so hard. By overworking and undersleeping, we're actually reducing our productivity, reducing our progress, reducing in the long term our productivity. So, friends, if there's any country on earth that needs a Sabbath rest, one of them it's us. But here's the thing, friends: if you've ever tried to rest, you know that it's not easy. You can't just switch off and start to rest. There's something in you that keeps going. Uh, in the second service after the sorry, in, after the first service, a, a couple came up to me and asked for prayer, and and one of them said something that was so succinct. I've texted them to ask them permission for whether I can share it, and they said okay uh the the wife said to me you know what some people need to hustle but i want to hustle did you get that some people need to hustle because they need to make a living but i want to hustle you see friends here's the thing tim keller says this when we're working we're not just working we're doing the work underneath the work we're not just working to draw a salary we're working to chase away our sense of insignificance. Now, some of you know Jimmy Yang. You know, he's this, uh, Joe was very shocked that I quoted Jimmy Yang from our pulpit. Okay, he's an American-Chinese comedian, uh, moved with his family t- from Hong Kong to America, studied economics like a good Asian boy, uh, but then got into stand-up comedy. So he had to have that conversation with his father, who was a traditional Cantonese man, and he said, you know, that." I studied economics, but now I really want to follow my passion. I don't want to work in economics. I want to work in stand up comedy. And his dad, this traditional Asian dad, looks at him and says, No. Passion is what makes people poor. You work in something you hate so that you can make the money to do what you love. Passion is what makes people poor. Now, friends, the truth is probably somewhere in between. There is some data that tells us that following your passion isn't the best course of action either, but I think neither is doing something you hate. So the truth is somewhere out there. But do you see how work has changed over the generations? In the past, we didn't have that many options. You worked in the job most likely that your parents worked in. Work was about putting food on the table. It was purely functional. But now, because of the choices that we have, Work has taken on a transcendent nature. It's no longer just about putting food on the table. It's about your sense of passion and purpose and significance. It's about your identity. In the past, if you were to say, uh, you know, if I were to talk to to my father, hey, you know, I want to follow my passion. He said, what passion? passion? It's about food, not passion. Uh, In uh, proper English, my dad would have said, work is not about passion. It's about putting food on the table. You know, Passion. Not, not passion, but jiapeng. Okay, so, so the way that we have come across, we have considered work has completely changed. Work has taken on a transcendent nature. So that's why it's not just that you need to hustle to put food on the table. You want to hustle because when you stop working, you stop getting a sense of who you are. You start wondering, oh my goodness, do I matter? And so we work not just to put set to get our salary but to chase away our sense of insignificance we do the work underneath the work and therefore we cannot really work if your soul is not at work at rest your mind cannot be at rest and if your mind cannot be at rest your body cannot be at rest too think about it maybe some of you have gone on vacation or holiday and there's an unresolved issue at work or an unresolved family issue and you go on this holiday but you know that this is waiting for you back at the office How restful is that vacation? You can try your best to put it out of your mind. I'm going to ignore it. But the fact is, it's weighing on your mind. And because it's weighing on your mind, you can have the most beautiful and wonderful vacation, but you come back exhausted. And friends, that's why this passage is so important for us this morning. Jesus recovers for us the true meaning of Sabbath rest. He helps us to get to the rest underneath the rest so that we can do the work for the sake of the work if our souls are at rest our minds can be at rest our bodies can be at rest we can be rejuvenated and renewed and truly accomplish the progress the productivity and the prosperity that we're chasing after so friends if you feel tired if you have a lack of rest like i do well this passage is for you so let's look at this passage under three headings The perversion of Sabbath rest, the purpose of Sabbath rest, and the power for Sabbath rest. The perversion, the purpose, and the power. Come with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. Now, as you look at this passage, what you'll notice is there isn't just one incident. There are two incidents where the Pharisees challenged Jesus about Sabbath. In the first incident, verse 1 and 2 tell us that on a Sabbath day, his disciples plucked some ears of corn and rubbed it in their hands, and they ate the grains. Uh, They were out preaching the gospel. They were hungry. So in the fields, they just plucked some grains and they ate. And this is what the Pharisees said in verse 2. Why are you doing what is not lawful or what is not legal on the Sabbath day? Now, friends, here's the thing. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that they haven't actually broken any of God's laws. In Deuteronomy 23, 25, God makes provision for people to eat the grain of other people's fields When they're hungry. So they haven't broken any of God's Old Testament laws. So why are the Pharisees so uptight? You see, friends, what they have broken are four of the 39 things that the Mishnah tells them that they're not allowed to do. The Mishnah says that you cannot reap, you cannot thresh, you cannot winnow, and you cannot prepare food on the Sabbath day. So those were the things they were breaking, and that is what they are being confronted with. Not God's law but man-made laws that were put in place in order to help them obey God's law. So what did the Pharisees do? They had all of these new laws so that people could technically obey the law of the sabbath. Now let's look at the second incident in Luke chapter 6 verse 6 to 7, 6 to 11. In this second incident, Jesus was in a synagogue, a man who had a withered hand came to him, and the Pharisees, the passage tells us, were watching so that they could accuse Jesus. They already wanted to accuse him. They were just looking for an opportunity to do so. Now again, none of God's laws were broken, but according to Jewish tradition, you could only heal someone on the Sabbath day if their life was in danger. So you had this man with a withered hand, but you know, his hand has been withered for a long time. He can live with a withered hand for another day. So not that serious. So what Jesus should have done according to the tradition is to wait another day, the Sabbath is over, and then heal him. Do you see where they've gone with all of this? In order to keep the technical details of the Sabbath, they've completely missed the original intention of the Sabbath. They kept the technical details, but they missed the original intention of the Sabbath. Did you know that according to the Casino Control Act in Singapore, no ATM machines are allowed within the vicinity of the casinos. Did you know that? I looked it up. It's, it's, it's really there. Okay. But if you go to RWS or Marina Bay Sands, you will see ATM machines. They are just one meter outside the vicinity of the casino. So the original act says no ATMs within the vicinity. Why? So that people are not tempted to draw more money to gamble. So what do you do? Just put it one meter outside of the vicinity. And that's what's happening here. Technically, I'm obeying the Casino Control Act. Technically, I'm keeping the Sabbath. But I've completely lost and missed the point of why the Sabbath is there in the first place. And friends, that's how we can pervert the good, gracious, and kind law of God. And the truth is, friends... We do it all the time. Let me give you an example. I've actually heard people say, you know what, the Bible tells me I need to be in church on Sunday. It commands Sabbath day worship or Lord's day worship, whichever tradition you're in, just just use that title. So I'm going to do that. But nothing in the scriptures tells me I need to join a community group. It's completely silent on that. And so I will go for Lord's day worship, but this whole thing about community group, the Bible says nothing You cannot bind my conscience on this. Tell you what, friends, you are right. You are dead right. There's nothing in the Bible that says you must go to a community group. And therefore, the elders of the church standing before God cannot bind your conscience on this matter. It's true. You are right. But you are dead right. You see, friends, what is the purpose of community group? There are 59 one another sayings in the New Testament. These one another sayings are what we're meant to do for one another. And these one another sayings are there to help us be deeply formed in the gospel. These one another sayings are there to help us grow up in Christ. These one another sayings are there to help us bear the burdens that we bear. One another sayings like love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another. In other words, these one another sayings are there to tell us that unless you are in deep and thick Christian community, you will never fully experience all the blessings that God has for you. You will never be deeply formed in the Christian faith. You will never see all of the glory and the goodness of God's grace. My friends, I've seen this happen over and over again. You know, some of your friends start deconstructing the Christian faith. They start moving away from belief in the good news of the gospel and in the Bible and things like that, many times, you know where it begins? It doesn't begin with deconstruction. It begins with disconnection. It begins when they draw away from the Christian community. Why, friends? You see, friends, the way that God has intended for us to know that He is real, to know that He loves us, to know that He provides for us in very tangible ways, is in the Christian community. When you love one another, You're loving one another with the love of jesus when you bear one another's burdens you're bearing one another's burdens in the name of jesus when you forgive one another you're showing the power and the beauty of the gospel to help us get through even the most difficult conflicts and difficulties in life you are showing in christian community god is real and the gospel is powerful and so when you disconnect from that and you just read and you watch stuff on the internet It becomes merely theoretical and conceptual. And over time, it gets less and less and less real. Deconstruction begins with disconnection. When you disconnect yourself from the Christian community, more and more you you sense an unrealness about all that we are talking about, even here on Sunday morning. So you're dead right, friends. We cannot bind your conscience. We cannot say you are breaking a commandment but not joining a community group. You're dead right. But if you're not connected in some ways, and friends, you know, it's not about going to the meetings per se. It's about being deeply connected with people in the community group. If you don't have that, then you're cutting yourself off from the original intention for what God has for you. So we too, friends, just like the Pharisees, can pervert the law of God by missing the intention that God has for us. We can keep the technical details. We can do the bare minimum. But our souls are not blessed. Because we're merely there to meet the technical details of God's law. And that's one way that Sabbath rest has been perverted. And do you see the irony? What is meant to be restful and liberating becomes repressive and laborious. But praise God, friends. Can you say praise God? We have Jesus Christ. And he comes to restore for us the Sabbath rest that all of us need. Come with me to verse 3 and 4. How does Jesus respond in the first incident? Your people shouldn't be eating the grain. They're breaking the law. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 3. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate bread, the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest. Now, Jesus is going back to the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 to 6. In this incident, David and his men were escaping from Saul. When they came to Ahimelech, the priest, they were famished. They were hungry. But all that Ahimelech had in hand was the sacred bread that according to the ceremonial law, only the priests could eat. David and his men had no right to the ceremonial bread according to ceremonial law. But what did Ahimelech do? He took the bread and he gave it to David and his men. And there's nothing in the Bible that says he did anything wrong. There is no rebuke for him doing this. Why, friends? Well, friends, because of this. The ceremonial law had to give way to the higher moral law of love, of loving your neighbor. The ceremonial law was there to make sure that the worship of God took place. But there's a higher moral law of loving your neighbor. And love, friends, love necessitates that the Ahimelech feed David and his men. And, friends, that is one of the purposes of the Sabbath. Out of God's love for his people, he feeds and nourishes us on the Sabbath day. And don't you see, friends, that that's precisely what the disciples were getting on the Sabbath day as they were eating the grains? They were being nourished. The very thing that Sabbath was all about. And yet, friends, in being so concerned with the technical details of Sabbath, they completely missed the point of Sabbath. No longer were they nourished by The Sabbath. Now let's look at the second incident. Look at how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. He speaks to them in verse 9. I ask you, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? They didn't respond. And then in verse 10, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And his hand was restored. And here, friends, Jesus gives us another point about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for restoration. The Sabbath is for doing good. The Sabbath is for saving life. And yet, friends, in their tenacity to keep the technical details of the Sabbath, they completely miss the point of the Sabbath. They completely miss the point that the Sabbath was for you to be nourished, for you to experience goodness and life, and restoration and friends this is what jesus has come to restore to you and to me true sabbath rest now the question is how do we get this true sabbath rest now legan duncan he makes a observation here which i think is quite interesting where was jesus on the sabbath day where was he well verse 6 tells us that he was doing what you are doing right now It says he was in the synagogue, the place where they gathered to worship and was teaching. He was in a place of corporate worship. Corporate worship, friends, is meant to be the place where we receive nourishment and goodness and life and restoration. Why, friends? Just to get a little bit practical, I I, I read an article by Tim Keller called Sabbath Rest, um, Wisdom and Sabbath Rest, and he gave some very kind of practical tools about how to keep the Sabbath. And Tim Keller says this, you know, you need to make time for, number one, sheer inactivity. So in order for you to be truly rested, you need to make time on the Sabbath or during a sabbatical to have sheer inactivity, time where your mind can just go anywhere, uh, time where your, your your body can go anywhere, of course, within the limits of human decency and the law of God. Uh, just, just free time for you to do whatever you want to be. Do, okay, sheer sure inactivity. So we need that kind of time in order to feel rested. But the second thing he says we need is a vocational activity, time for a vocational activity. Now, what does he mean by this? You see, we tend to think that Sabbath rest merely means just keep quiet, sit down, don't move, okay? But you know as much as I do that that doesn't always replenish us. What sometimes replenishes us is not the lack of activity, but different activity. Doing something that is outside of your vocation. Okay, so, for example, if you're a fisherman, fishing on the Sabbath day may not necessarily replenish you because it is your vocational activity. We had someone who, was a, who worked as a chef here at the first service, so I said, yeah, you know, I talked about cooking. That probably doesn't apply to you. Uh, that, but something that is not part of your vocation that you do for the sake of sheer pleasure. So time for sheer inactivity, time for avocational activity. That too, not no activity, but different activity that replenishes you. Uh, you know, I started this program, um, what's it called again? A DMIN program in, in, in America, and in preparation for this course on grace-centered leadership, I had to read 11 books, 2,000 pages uh, within a month. Uh, it's not literature that I usually read, a lot of leadership literature and so on. In a sense, doesn't quite help with my sermon prep and all that. It was hard work. You know, I read until my, my eyes sometimes got swollen and things like that. You know. Um, but you know what? After 2,000 pages and going through a one week course, I was refreshed. This is stuff that doesn't directly feed into my preaching, but it enriches my mind, it opens up my heart. And we need to make time for all of these things. So, sharing activity, a vocational activity. But here's the thing uh, Tim Keller said this in a sermon. If you don't begin with worship, or rather he says, I have to begin with worship. He starts with himself. If I don't start with worship, then sheer inactivity and vocational activity, they don't really do their work. Why is that, friends? Because if our souls are not rested, our minds can't be rested. And if our minds can't be rested, our bodies cannot be rested. You see, friends, in worship, we are coming to a place where we encounter the God who made us and who saves us and in that place our soul's at rest and when we begin with worship it opens the door for sheer inactivity and avocational activity to do what it's meant to do in us again that illustration think about it if there's an unresolved issue at work and you go for a week-long vacation it's just not restful but when we begin with worship, we begin with our souls. And if your soul is rested, your mind is rested, your body can rest too. Now, how does this take place? Do you know that the Ten Commandments are recorded in two parts of the first five books of Moses? Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Exodus 20 is when they first received the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5 is the, is the second recording of the law but it's also an interpretation of the law. Now, in both cases, we're given slightly different reasons for keeping the Sabbath. They're not contradictory, they're complementary. So if you go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, the reason given for keeping the Sabbath is this. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. So what's the reason for keeping the Sabbath? Because God is your creator. And you need to be reminded over and over again, that God is your maker. He will take care of you. He has a stake on your life. You are not your own. He made you and he loves you. Friends, we forget this all the time. Every time we take our own destiny into our own hands, we're forgetting God is our creator. God is our maker. So first reason to keep the Sabbath, to gather on on Sunday to worship God is to remind ourselves we are creature. He is creator. But Deuteronomy chapter five gives us another reason. In Deuteronomy 5.15, he says this, You shall remember that you were a slave, and the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. They had to remember the exodus. They had to remember that they were once slaves, but God came to save them. God isn't just creator. He is redeemer and liberator. He saves you from your sins. He restores you. He forgives you. He cleanses you. He covers over your shame. So why did they keep Sabbath? To be reminded over and over again that God is creator and God is redeemer. God is your creator and God is your redeemer. Now, friends, this type of thing doesn't happen automatically. It's not something that you can just take a course on, you know, use your skills, future credits, or what, go and attend a course, and then, boom, you know, I'm convinced that God is creator and God is redeemer. Every day of your life, you will forget that God is your maker and God is your redeemer. That's why you need the hustle, because you're trying to establish significance for yourself, apart from God. It's the default mode of the human heart. And so you cannot just go for a two-day course and come away. I'm fully convinced God is my redeemer and God is my my creator, my liberator. It's not just notional and something you learn. It's something that needs to be etched into your soul. And that is what corporate worship does, friends. Week after week after week, through the songs, through the prayers, hopefully through the preaching, you are brought face to face with an encounter with the God who made you. And the God who saves you. And over time, your soul is formed and forged in that reality. And you experience nourishment. And you experience re- renewal and restoration every time that happens. That's what we need, friends. And that's the original purpose of the Sabbath to nourish, to restore for good not just to keep the technical details of what you can and cannot do no friends but to know a god who is good the god who made you and to know a god who loves you a god who redeems you and restores you that is the purpose of sabbath friends but here's the thing friends as i look at your faces i know what you're thinking because i'm thinking the same thing really man so easy man so good man let's go to the third point the power for sabbath rest we need something more to drive us into the reality of this sabbath rest and come with me friends to verse five come with me to verse five after jesus points out to david points out that david ate the bread of the presence he goes on to say a very powerful and controversial thing he says the son of man Is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. What's he doing here? You see, friends, David was the great king of Israel. When he took the bread, in some sense, no one could question it. He was God's king. Jesus comes on the scene right after talking about David, and he says, i'm the lord of the sabbath now do you realize how explosive and controversial this would have been to the jewish people you see friends the jewish people understood the sabbath didn't start in exodus 20. the sabbath started in genesis 2. in genesis 2 it says god god finishes work all that he had done he declared it was good and he rested on the seventh day and go look at genesis 2.2 you realize there's no morning and evening So the Sabbath was supposed to last forever. God had completed, finished his work of creation, declared it was good, and he rested, not because he was tired, but because he was done. Everything is good and beautiful and wonderful. Who is the Lord of the Sabbath, friends, in Genesis 2? God himself. When Jesus comes on the scene, And he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What is he claiming for himself? He's claiming to be God. And friends, the power for Sabbath comes with you knowing that Jesus is God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the creator. But more than that, friends, Jesus is also the one who puts in place what we need. He does all that we couldn't do to have true Sabbath rest. You see friends the seventh day was meant to last forever. The work is finished. It is good. But what happened in Genesis 3? Sin. We turned against God and what was good turned into curse and sabbath became non-sabbath. And something needed to be done to restore the good, original Sabbath that we had lost because of our sin. Now, friends, come with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11 and 12. In Matthew 12, verse 1 to 14, you have a parallel account to Luke 6, 1 to 11. It's almost the same of what Jesus did as he confronted the Pharisees, or rather the Pharisees confronted him, with regard to the Sabbath, both on the picking of grains and the restoration of the hand. Now, I'm going to read you something that you'll find familiar, but you probably didn't realize was back-to-back with this Sabbath account. Look at Matthew 11:28, which comes just before Matthew 12, verse 1 to 14. In Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you guys heard this, 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 this verse before? Someone's funeral, maybe? Yeah, you've heard this, right? Did you know that right after that, Jesus and the Pharisees have the confrontation about Sabbath? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Come to me. I'm the only one that can truly give you Sabbath rest. I must do something for you in order for you to have true Sabbath rest. If you labor... And you're heavy laden. I must accomplish Sabbath rest for you. Jesus has come, friends, to restore all that is broken. That it is good is no longer good. And it is finished is no longer finished because of human sin. And so to restore Sabbath, what must Jesus do? Jesus must deal with sin. Jesus must deal With rebellion now come back with me to luke chapter 6 and look at verse 11. look at verse 11. how did the pharisees respond to all that jesus said about the sabbath they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to jesus and because you and i have the privilege of reading The rest of the Gospel of Luke, we know exactly what they did to Jesus. They sent him to the cross. Friends, do you see the great cost of your Sabbath rest? Do you see the great cost of the rest underneath the rest that our souls so need in order for us to truly rest? In Isaiah 57 verse 20 and 21, it says, the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, or there is no rest, another translation says, for the wicked. There is no rest for the wicked. But friends, Jesus was not wicked. He was kind. He was good. He was holy. And yet, on the cross, he was tossed about, and he had no rest, and he had no peace. Not for his sins, my friends. Not for his breaking of the Sabbath. But for your breaking of the Sabbath. And for my breaking of the Sabbath. That's the cost of Sabbath rest. And what does Jesus say just before he dies? John 19 verse 30. It is finished. Do you see what he has done? He has restored to us that it is finished of Genesis 2, when he dies on the cross. Friends, if you really want the power to rest deep in your soul, to have that rest underneath the rest, you need to come and see Christ, not just as creator, but the redeemer that gave himself for you so that he can give you rest for your soul. The only way that you and I can stop chasing away our insignificance through the work that we do is to know that we are significant and truly loved, not because of anything that we have done, but only because of what Christ has done. And week after week after week, we are being reminded in our gathering of corporate worship, it is finished, it is done. You are loved. You are significant. You are mine. Let me just close with a story. When I said this in the first service, uh, Cindy burst out laughing. So you might laugh too. I, I said, um, I'm actually the worst person on earth to preach to you about Sabbath rest because I don't know how to rest. So just imagine my wife bursting out laughing in the first service. And it's true. I have been trying to chase away my sense of insignificance with my work for the longest time. And one of the ways I've tried to do it is by planting this church. And I had to confront this in my heart over and over and over again, which means that it's actually incredibly stressful. And one of the most incredibly stressful things uh, in church planting in Singapore is finding a place to worship. Okay? It's, it's difficult because of the cost, because of the government regulations, a whole slew of things. So for a year and a half, uh, I was incredibly stressed about our venue. Where would we worship? We knew our time was coming to an end here. Where would we worship? And so we worked and worked and worked. You can ask Yu Heng. We searched and searched and searched. We tried to uncover every stone. We, 20 over venues. There was even this Tio uh, Chiu Association uh, gentlemen's club uh, that we wrote to. They have a 400-seater auditorium. And I said, Yu Heng, tell them the pastor is Tio Chiu. I'm Tiochiu, by the way, you know, so that's not a lie. They said no, and they replied in English. (laughs) So we we were just working so hard, couldn't find anything. But in the end, in August of last year, you guys know the story, if you don't know the story, let me tell you the story again. Literally, it dropped out of the sky, Marina One, because I just got back from Turkey on a flight, and I was in a grab heading home, very tired, and for whatever reason, the driver took us through Marina Bay Area, and suddenly, in my mind, I remembered, oh my, isn't there an auditorium here? I still have the WhatsApp message, so this is not exaggerated. I found a PDF online, and I sent it to Yu Heng. I said, hey, can you please check this out and see whether it's available? And lo and behold, next week, we're worshiping in Marina 1. And all of that anxiety, it's almost like God is saying to me, and maybe to you also, God this, I love you, my people. I want you to worship. I want you to know that I'm your creator, and I'm your redeemer and liberator, and I will make sure that you have a place to worship. Friends, I want to invite you to do this on the Sabbath day. Look at your life. Consider the things that you were most anxious about in the past. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you that you will be able to find how God has come through by grace and grace alone and worked on your behalf. Think about it. It might take some effort to dig a bit, but do it. And friends, all of these are small tokens of the glorious, wonderful gift of his one and only son, jesus christ in christ god says to you i'm working on your behalf you can rest in christ god is saying you can truly know that it is finished and it is good in christ your soul can be at rest so that your mind can be at rest so that your body can be at rest and we can reverse those statistics about being unhappy workers and being burned out, we can truly do the work that we were meant to do for the sake of the work and have the progress, have the productivity, and even perhaps the prosperity that God desires for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a good God and you care for us. How often we forget that you made us And you love us and you will provide for us and how often we forget that you also redeem us through the death of your son but week after week after week you remind us i'm the one who made you and i love you i'm the one who saved you and i cover over all your sins it is finished it is done there is nothing more that you and i need to do in order to gain his favor and so we work and we strive for the sake of the joy that is set before us. Help us to understand this deep in our hearts, Lord. We thank you for all that you have done among us here at House, And we anticipate more of your grace and more of all that you are going to do in us and among us and through us at Marina One. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.